uh, Steph and I, I'm going to give the disclaimer now. Yeah. I'm already freaking her out. I'm going off script already. Okay. Uh, Steph and I have been reading a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Okay. And let me tell you, uh, if you like the way your life is going, do not read this book. Okay. This book will change everything about your life. It is, have you read it before? It's amazing. It's excellent. Um, excellent. and honestly, if your family wants a copy, let us know. I want, as a gift, I want to give it to you. That's how important I think this book is. And so if your family needs a copy, I will send it to you on Amazon. I'll do that tomorrow. All right. So I, it's, it's that good. And so most of this whole message, is being stolen from that book. All right, so I need to give this book credit. Um, and his name's John uh, Michael Comer. And uh, he's a, John Mark Comer. I'm sorry, I'm already doing a horrible job of telling who this guy is. Uh, but this book, I, I, I typically when I read a book like this, I'll take it and make it my own. It's so good that I've done very little of that in this because it's very, very good. So I want to give credit where credit is due. But this is the no shame zone, okay? So this is the tree of trust. No one's going to judge you in this place, all right? But I do want to ask some questions. I want some participation. Can we all just agree that we're going to be honest? Can we agree that we're all going to be honest? This is church, and the Bible says the Lord will strike you if you lie inside church. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. How many people have already started listening to Christmas music right now? Come on. Okay, all right. How many people? This is the no judgment zone. Okay, you, can't, you can't say this. Like, what? That is judging. Okay. How many people have already put up your Christmas tree? We have. Yeah, we have. And I'm typically this next one, but I, in recent years, since we've lived back here. It was Clint's idea. He brought the tree up. I only put it up because the box is in my way. And I was like, well, I got to put the tree up. I was already down in the garage, so I just brought it up. So, okay. How many people are post-Thanksgiving Christmas celebrators? Oh, okay. We got an emphatic hand. I knew, I knew whoever was going to raise their hand was going to be proud in this moment. I, I knew it. Okay. Um, okay. How, okay. Let me ask this. How many of you want to start doing this stuff, but you just feel like you don't really have the time? Does anyone kind of fall in that category? Okay. Y'all busy right now. Okay. Now uh, let me get a little broader. How many of you really want to do something in life? Like you want to go on that trip? Uh, you want to do that project at the house. You want to spend some time with somebody you don't get to spend a lot of time with. Uh, there's something in your life that you want to do, but you can't seem to find the time. You're just a little too busy right now. Come on. Okay. Okay. Every, okay. Everybody, almost every, 98% of us are raising our hands right now, right? So uh, here's what Steph and I, Pastor Steph and I have really come to know over the last couple of months is that luckily our church is small enough. We can spend time with all you guys and we try our hardest to do that. We invite you over to our house. We go get coffee. We sweat and cuss and work out together uh, at the gym. I'm sort of joking about the cussing part. Okay. <laughs> it's not me, Thomas. I'm just joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. Uh, the Lord will strike someone dead and it is the only one talking. I'm joking. So we've, we've talked to a lot of you guys. And during this season where we've been trying to strengthen our team, we've really tried to pay attention to the needs and speak to these needs. And uh, one thing that every person, I'm not, not one person, every person said this to us is that you said, I am so busy and I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, I, I, I can't get it all done. And I, there's been times I've, we've looked at some of you, and you have this glazed, glassed over look in your eyes of like, I am just a body that is functioning right now, but there's mush going on right here. I have nothing left to give, right? And, uh, and not only have you felt that way, we have felt that way. I mean, my goodness, there's been times where I'm like, I don't know how, I don't want to leave my house. 
I have so much to do. There's a, I have so many places to call. I have to find a place for our church to meet, right? Like, I, like it's been, and preach all, every week, you know? And so uh, there's been times we have felt that way. And we've realized that we all have a problem. And the problem is hurry. We're all, we all struggle with hurry. We all struggle with being so hurried and so rushed that it's destroying our lives. It's destroying our mental well-being. It's destroying our relationships. It's destroying your health. It's destroying your mind. It's destroying everything about you. And if you pay attention, you're going to hear this conversation everywhere. What I'm about to tell you right now. And the conversation goes like this. Hey, how are you? I'm good. I'm just busy. How many of y'all have said those words or have had those words said to you in the last week? Come on, everybody. I'm good. I'm just busy, right? And here's, you'll find it everywhere. And what's the interesting thing about this, especially in America, is that that answer transcends gender, it transcends ethnicity, it transcends socioeconomical class. Every person, almost, I can I can maybe think of a couple of people that I would go, they do a great job at this, right? But every person's busy. College students are busy. Young parents are busy. Right? I mean, have you ever had a child? I mean, you, you don't, your life is over once you have children, right? Empty nesters are busy, right? Uh, the, uh, CEOs are busy. Pastors are busy. Business owners are busy. Retired people are busy somehow, right? right? You, you've been busy your whole life and you're still busy, right? And Sam's like, I've gone to the golf course every day, the ends and why, baby. By the way, Thank you for your service, my friend. Uh, we want to honor you. Come on. Hey, Veterans Day. We got so caught up celebrating our church that we haven't celebrated. I'm sorry. Thank you. You're awesome. Um, I meant to call you the other day and I forgot. I'm sorry. Uh, just to be honest. But the problem is not busyness, right? Like it's, uh, we're all going to be busy. All right. This, I'm going to newsflash every day. You're going to be busier than you were the day before. The problem is not busyness. The problem is when we have so much to do that we have to hurry to get it all done. And whenever we do that, that's the life that Jesus never intended us to live. That's the speed of life that the enemy never, I'm sorry, that Jesus never intended us to live. In fact, it's not only uh, not the way he intended it, it's actually anti-Christ to live that way. It's anti-Jesus to live a hurried life. It's the complete opposite. In fact, all right, here we go. Jesus said this, Matthew 22. Verse 37, he said, you must love. Y'all say love. love. Remember this word. It's going to be very important in 30 seconds. All right. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. So before you do anything else, love God first, right? And the second one is equally important. Not a little less. It's equally as important. And it says, love. Y'all say love. love. Your neighbor as yourself. The entire law. And all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Every, we're going to go long tonight, all right? Everything is based off of these two things. Now, if you could sum up those two commandments with one word, what would it be? What? Love. Great, y'all are doing great, all right? It's love. That's the highest value in God's economy. In God's kingdom, love holds the highest value. And if you get everything else wrong in your life, Get this one right, right? Like if you had to choose to work on that bad habit of cussing in the gym or love somebody, love somebody, keep cussing, and then, but love, right? Like that's what you want to do. God says to love God and love your neighbor. And Jesus is just saying, hey, choose love. 
Well, so you might be thinking, okay, but what does that have to do with hurry? And I'm glad you asked because hurry and love are incompatible. It is impossible to be hurried and to be loving. Think about your time, the worst time that you have as a mom, as an employee, as a, a sister, as a daughter, like whatever. Think of your worst. I've said all women things because, you know, I'm a girl. But think of your worst time as, as a person. And I bet that a lot of times it's when you are trying to do an unmanageable to-do list or you're running late for something or you're just trying to cram too much into your day. Like, I know that's true for me. When I'm in a hurry, I ooze like frustration and agitation and all of the Go ahead and give a real life example that happened today. I was not. I wasn't oozing anything. Okay, thank you. I was like, I was not oozing anything. I told Clint at about 1.20 we were supposed to be here at two. I told him about one twenty that we needed to go by Target on our way here, and hurry kicked into Clint, and we were hurried to the car. I'm very bad at this. I, I will give a glare and make the comment every time when I feel hurried. That's just what I do. Exactly. So, so whenever whenever you are in a hurry, pay attention to how you're treating the people around you, and I would bet that it is not in a very loving way because it's it's impossible. You can't do it. And not only is love incompatible with hurry, but just about every fruit of the spirit is. So when you ask Jesus into your life, you give your life to Jesus. Jesus gives you the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's job is to help us and to grow fruit in us because healthy things grow fruit. They bear fruit. And so the fruit of the spirit in Galatians is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It takes everything in me to not sing those words because that's how I learned them, but I'm going to, I won't. Um, but hurry is incompatible with every single one of those. You cannot be patient and be in a hurry. It's really hard to practice self-control and be in a hurry. Uh, it's, it's, that's why we have to look at that hurry through a spiritual lens, but if we're going to attack hurry, we need to know kind of how it started. So we're going to nerd out for just a second, but bear with me because I love this. I think it's so interesting. We're going to talk about time and like the idea of time. So back before Jesus, really the sun and the seasons decided decided time, right? It was either dawn, day, dusk, or night. That That was about it. Like you worked when it was light outside and you went to bed when it wasn't and you just kind of did your thing. Um, but then in about 200 BC, they invented this newfangled technology called a sundial. And you better believe that it made people angry. That was like the first time that they put, a, you had an idea of the time of day based on the sun, right? So angry, in fact, that a Roman playwright named Plautus expressed his anger in a poem. And he said, the gods confound the man who first found out how to distinguish hours. Confound him, too, who in this place set up a sundial to cut and hack my day so wretchedly into small portions. I feel like that's like an angry tweet. You know what I mean? That's like the, the BC equivalent of an angry tweet. He, was, he did it in a poem. Yeah, was, well, was so yeah. He, was, he was angry about it, right? Um, but most historians are going to point to 13. 1370 as the time that changed our view and our relationship with time completely. And in 1370 in Germany, they erected the first clock tower. Um, And so at that point, everybody in the town knew exactly what time it was every minute of the day. So, you know, that's when they started like, not necessarily nine to five, but you had like, I'm going to meet you at nine o'clock, not when the sun comes up, you know, it was different. And so that's our relationship changed. But the sun was still ultimately in authority because when the sun went down, you went to sleep. There was nothing else to do. It was dark. You couldn't see. So you either, you know, you just went to sleep when the sun went down. 
until 1879. Now, something happened in 18, 1879 that changed everything. Does anyone want to take a stab at what that was? Anybody? Huh? Light bulb, ding, ding, a little light bulb went off right there. So Thomas Edison in 1879 invents the light bulb. Now, we wouldn't be having church right now if, thank you, Thomas Edison, right? Like, I, I, I'm not bashing this guy, but it changed our lives for the better, but also for the worse at the same time. Why? Because like she said, the sun still dictated what time it was. You, after it went dark, you would just go to sleep. Can you like right? You would be asleep at it's five right now. You'd be asleep. Amen. Uh, yeah, she would do it. She <laughs> I would, would do, do it. it. <laughs> but you would go to sleep because you you couldn't work anymore. You couldn't. I mean, you could do something by a candlelight, but I mean, it's wasting candle. Or, you, or if you needed a fire in your house, you had to go chop a tree down, <laughs> drag it back to your house, chop it into small pieces, and then you can have fire for one night, right? And then tomorrow you got to do it again, like. No one's doing that. They're going to bed. You know what I'm saying? Like that, that's just what happens. Um, and did you know that before the invention of the light bulb, people averaged 11, yes, 11 hours of sleep a night. Can somebody give me an amen in this amen. place, right? Like 11 hours, 11 hours of sleep. And we hear about super spiritual people that lived before 1879 and how Mother Teresa or like, John Calvin, or I don't know when he lived, but it, you know, <laughs> someone old, right? Someone old would would they would wake up at four thirty in the morning and they would pray and read their Bible for hours, and they would they were so spiritual, and God used them to change the world. Well, you would wake up at four thirty two if you went to bed at five right now. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not taking anything away from these guys, but it's a little less spiritual, right? Like, they just had they slept when it was nighttime, right? And this is when things took off. This is when you you know uh, all of a sudden there was there was this technology revolution. I don't know what it's called, but I mean there was a lot of stuff happening because now when the sun went down, you could flip a light on and you could continue to work and you could continue to get more stuff done. And all of a sudden that everybody's doing this thing. And all of a sudden now technology's booming everywhere. And instead of having to go chop a tree down to get fire in your fireplace, you get off the couch. You go touch your thermostat in your house, you turn it up, and voila, you got, you got more heat, baby, you know? And like, or you do it from your phone, or you talk to Alexa and say, Alexa, make it 72 degrees in my house right now, please, right? Like, that's how fast this stuff's going on. Well, all of a sudden, things change again. In 2007, there's another major thing that happens. What happens in 2007? Anybody know? I graduated high school. Okay, what? <laughs> iPhone. Steve Jobs announces the new iPhone. And here we are again, a huge, uh, it's, we still don't know the effects that this has had on, on society, but we got a pretty good idea. And we're going to talk about, my phone's down there. We're going to talk about our phones for a second. Let's talk about our phones for a second. Because all this is adding to this problem of hurry. Mm -hmm. You're used to having instantaneous feedback on anything that you could possibly want. And it's in the palm of your hand all the time. How many times a day do you think you touch your phone? Someone give me a number. If you heard this earlier, don't say anything. Okay, 10,000 is a little high. Uh, but I, I, if you would ask me this, I would have said, Michaela, I think, said 150, right? That sounds pretty reasonable, I think, right? Like the real number, let me tell you this, the average person touches their phone 2,617 times a day. That's average. Average, okay? That equals two and a half hours over 76 sessions a day. And other studies show that millennials are twice that number. So over 5,000 times a day, you're touching your phone. So you get your phone out, 
you type a message. There's 50 touches right there. How much time do you spend doing this? Little touch, little touch. I saw a hack the other day that you don't even have to touch your phone anymore. You can do like a guided access thing and go swipe up, and it'll swipe up that's for you. The epitome of laziness, right there. Unless you can't, then you you know that's fine. But this anyway. is for people that just want to watch their phone on TikTok, but they don't want to move their finger because they're too tired. <laughs> okay, well, again, the problem. So you you touch your phone that many times a day. Not only are we constantly on our phones, but it's actually affecting us more than we realize. A similar study found that just being in the same room as your phone, quote, will reduce someone's working memory and problem-solving skills. Why? Because we've become so dependent on our phones to have an instant answer that our memory has suffered, our problem-solving skills have suffered. And in the year 2000, before the digital revolution happened, our attention span averaged, is the year 2000, 12 seconds. Pretty bad, but a lot better than where we are now. Right now, just 21 years later, our average attention span is eight seconds. A goldfish's attention span is nine seconds. We're getting beat by a goldfish. Okay, I'm just letting you know, we're getting beat by a goldfish. All because we want stuff now. We want something in a hurry. We need to have it now. I'm just going to order my food now. I'm just going to tweet that now. I'm just going to look at that now, right? But what is this really, not only is it doing to your brain, okay? I'm not even going to get into all that. Read the book. It's amazing. Uh, You can read all that. But the question I want to ask is, what is this doing to your soul? Like, what is this doing to you as a person? What is it doing? All this distraction, all this addiction, this pace of life, it's destroying us. It's causing us to live at a pace that we were never meant to live. It's causing us to uh, be depressed. It's causing us to be anxious. It's, ca- it's stealing our joy completely because we've, we've decided we want to live this pace of life that we were never meant to live. Psychologists, secular, non-Christian psychologists, they call this hurry sickness. It's legit. And we're going to give you some symptoms of hurry sickness, like some specifics here in a second. But let me just ask in this room, you can raise your hand if you like, or if you're embarrassed, you don't have to, okay? How many of you, and here's some common symptoms, how many of you have ever moved from one checkout line to the other because the other one looked like it was a little faster? Come on. <laughs> Thomas, lit, this is your job. You know I mean? You're a professional at finding the short line, right? Like, and there's nothing bad about that, right? How many of you have ever counted the cars in front of you and gotten over a lane because you wanted to beat out the people at the light? I do this every, this is, people, I race everybody, they don't even know. They don't even know, okay? Now, how many of you have ever multitasked to the, how many of you have been multitasking to the point where you've forgotten all the tasks that you even have to get done and you've dropped the ball somewhere, right? Okay. But some of you, you still might not be convinced, like, I don't really do that. I'm kind of easy going, right? Whatever. I, I want to give you like some actual symptoms. And we're going to talk about these. And I want you just to keep count in your head, keep them on your fingers. We're going to give you 10 symptoms of hurry sickness. And I'm going to, tell, I'm going to be honest and transparent. I'm going to tell you the ones that I struggle with. I'll give you my number at the end of this. And I want you just to do a little self-inventory right now and see how, how am I doing with this right now? Here's the first one. Irritability. Let me define it for you. You get mad. Before I do this, spouses are not allowed to elbow the other spouse, okay? We fight fair, and we're not gonna we're not gonna go. Do you, do you hear that? You know, we're not doing any of that, okay? Irritability. You get mad, frustrated, or just annoyed way too easily. 
Little normal things irk you. And people have to, like your family, have to tiptoe around your ongoing low-grade negativity or your low-grade anger issues. That's all irritability right there. And let me just tell you, I got one point right now, okay? Let me just tell you. All right, here we go. All right, hypersensitivity is the second one. So that means it just takes a small comment or a grumpy email or just one little thing going wrong to just send your day into a spiral. And depending on your personality, it might show up like anger. It might show up um, like nitpickiness or anxiety or depression, or it just makes you tired. But it's just one little thing can ruin your whole day. I'm at two, okay? All right. And both of these were displayed earlier when we were trying to get to church, okay? I was going to tell you right now. Number three, restlessness. All right. I think this is going to hit everybody. When you actually do try to slow down and rest, you can't relax. You give Sabbath a try and you hate it. You read scripture, but find it boring. You have a quiet time with God, but can't focus your mind. You go to bed early, but you toss and turn watching Netflix all night, right? Or you struggle with anxiety and you're thinking about things. You watch TV, but simultaneously check your phone, fold laundry, and get into a spat on Twitter. I did these things last night, except the Twitter thing. I'm not joking. I, we were, I was on my phone a little bit. I was folding my laundry that I do you know, every four days, I feel like. you know, I did all this. And it says, uh, your mind and body are hyped up on the drug of speed. Not the real drug of speed, but just hurriedness, right? And when they don't get the dopamine fix, they shiver. So restlessness. I'm at three. Okay. All right. Let's keep going. All right. Emotional numbness. You just don't have the capacity to feel somebody else's pain. And honestly, you probably don't have capacity to feel your own pain because you just don't have time for it. I'm at four. All right. So, and this is my Enneagram number is a seven, if you are into that. And uh, that is like the definition of a seven right there. Okay. Number five, I don't, I have seasons where I struggle with this. It's not a constant struggle for me, but out of order priorities. Okay. Out of order priorities. Are you laughing? Uh, okay. Okay. You feel disconnected from your identity and calling. Like there's just something, it's, I just don't feel like I'm, I'm getting there in my life, right? You're always getting sucked into the tyranny of the urgent and not the important. So you're always f- focused on the urgent, like, oh, this has to get done now. But when you do that, you miss the important thing. And your life is reactive, not proactive. You're busier than you've been than you've ever been before, yet still feel like you don't have time for what really matters to you. Got a little quiet in here, okay? All right, number six. Okay, workaholism, which I had a hard time with, but I was like, workaholic, alcoholic. Okay, I got it, I got it. Workaholism. You don't know when to stop, or worse, you can't stop. It's just one more call, one more hour, one more email, one more, one more, one more. And it doesn't have to be um, in a workplace. If you stay at home, it can be one more chore, one more errand, one more thing to do. Um, and you're just, your drugs of choice are like accomplishing things and accumulating things. All right. How's everybody doing so far? I don't, I'm not asking for a score, but we got it. Okay. Seven, lack of care for your body. Got to go to the gym tomorrow, guys. I'll be there. Okay. <laughs> You don't have time for the basics. Eight hours of sleep a night or 11 if you're the OG, all right, back in the day. Daily exercise, healthy home-cooked foods, and minimal stimulants. 
and, and margin to do all those things, right? Like when you start to lack these things, you might be have some hurry sickness. Get you, maybe you get sick multiple times a year, and you regularly wake up tired, and you don't sleep very well. All right, so that's not taking care of your body. All right, so that's number seven. Number eight. Escapist behaviors. So when we're too tired to do what actually fills our soul, we look to fill it with other things. So we overeat, we overdrink, we waste hours of our life scrolling on social media. We binge watch that series on Netflix. It's it's all of those things that are trying to fill a void um, that they're not meant to fill. Yes, and I'll say this because I feel like you probably felt uncomfortable saying it, is a lot of uh, people, we also start scrolling on our phone, and before you know it, when you're hurried, you're looking for a way to escape, and that's how a lot of men get caught up in the pornography because they all of a sudden said the P word in church, right? But hey, that's how it starts. I mean, I just got to, I'm so stressed. I need some relief. I I got to, this is how it all starts, and uh, you can't do that. So escapist behaviors. Ninth thing is this, slippage of spiritual disciplines. If you're anything like me, when you get overly busy, the things that truly are life-giving for your soul are the first to go rather than your first go-to, all right? So uh, the things that should be the go-tos in your life are typically the first to go whenever you get too busy. And we can't do that, such as your quiet time in the morning, scripture, prayer, Sabbath, worship on Sunday, a meal with your friends, just go hang out and so on. Like these things take a back seat whenever we have hurried sickness. And then this is the last one. All right, the last one is isolation. So you feel disconnected from God, from others, and from yourself. Um, when you when you take the times to actually stop and pray, and by pray, I mean like actually spend time with God and not just ask him for things while you're running about your day. Um, you're so stressed and distracted that your mind can't even settle down and like enjoy being in the presence of God. Um, and then when you're with your friends, you're so distracted. And so like you're either on your phone or you're thinking about your to-do list. When you're with people, you're not really with them because you're in your brain. But then when you get alone, you don't want to be in your brain. And so you go back to the escapist behaviors and you're just, you isolate yourself. All right. I'm counting mine up. Hold on. Give me one second. Uh, I have eight of these 10. All right. So I'm just going to tell you, I'm the the pastor of this church. We are the pastors of this church. I start with eight. Do you have a count on yours? Do you want to share? Okay. I, I would say seven. Okay. I, and so I want to, I want you to reject any sort of shame you might feel in that moment or as you're hearing these or any guilt. You're not an abnormal person. Sadly, we're all normal. We all struggle with this, but we've been called to live a life that's not normal. All right. And God's called us something better, something greater. And most of us, we deal with this, but hopefully we've shown you that this is toxic, like this hurried lifestyle. And by the way, The holidays are coming. This is not going to get better over the next couple of months. We have to figure out what can we do to stop this. And that's why we want to talk about this. The next two weeks after this, we're talking about it still. But you you have to stop this because it's toxic. The Bible says this in John 10.10. The thief's purpose is to make you hurried. That's my translation. It says this. The thief's purpose is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's what Jesus said. Hey, the devil... He's going to steal, kill, and destroy your life. And how he's going to do it? By making you hurried, by making you busy. I think we can all agree that what the symptoms we just read off, like we don't like those things about us. We want to change those things about us. The enemy's already been in our camp, and he's already affecting us. But Jesus says this, but my purpose, 
is to give you a rich and satisfying life. What I want to do with you is I actually want to unhurry you so that you can enjoy a rich and satisfying life, a new way to actually live your life. Not a new way to to know how to do things, but a new way to actually do something and to actually change this. So the big question is how? How do we live this life? How do we to, how do we change those things in our life? And Jesus says in Matthew 11, he says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. And this is such a key verse for this, because in that verse is the answer to this problem. But to know the answer to the problem, you have to understand what Jesus is really saying. So when you're reading the Bible, you need to look through several different contexts of, you know, what what it means, but one of them is cultural. Like when Jesus was saying this, what did the people of that time hear him saying? How how did they see this happening? And so, uh our culture's understanding of yoke is like a tool that you use. I had, and I'm going to be honest, I had to look it up because I was like, I know what it is in theory. It's a farming tool. Yeah, it's a farming tool. It's like a stick with two little like circles that just stick big animals' heads through and they pull a load with it, okay? (laughs) Thomas doesn't appreciate my uh, description of that, but it's a tool that you use for farming that big animals use to pull loads. Um, And like I said, I had to look that up because my cultural understanding is nothing because I don't see it in my culture. Um, you wanted to say something? No. Nope. Okay. Um, but Jesus wasn't, he was talking about that, but he wasn't only talking about that. There's a, he was using a play on words that the people of that time understood. So Jesus was a rabbi, and that just means that he was a teacher of scripture. And in those days, rabbis each had what was called a yoke, and that was their way of reading scripture. Um, or, and it was more, it was their set of teachings on how to be human. So it, it was how to shoulder the weight of life, marriage, divorce, sex, alcohol, like governments, like all of these things, like how to live your life as a human. The rabbi's yoke was their teachings on that. Um, so it's kind of a weird image for us because we don't use yokes and we definitely don't have that context. But it basically, it was a rabbi's teaching on how you shoulder the load that comes with being a person. Right. And I think we can all agree that just being a human being comes with a lot of weight. I mean, can we agree on that, right? Like the bill is going to come up that you weren't expecting, the ER visit's going to happen, uh, the tire's going to blow out, you're going to have that relationship problem, uh, life is not going to go, you're going to get pregnant when you weren't really planning on getting pregnant, like happened to our middle child, right? I we mean, ruined a cruise <laughs> for us, but you know, like life happens and you need to know like, okay, and, and, and the way a rabbi would teach their yoke was how they would teach you how to handle those things. Right? Uh, and we wanted to illustrate a certain way. Can you come help me? All right, come on up here. Um, and here's how we kind of wanted to illustrate it is most of us here, take one of these right here, bro. And I want you to throw that on. Is that the heavy one? Okay, good. Okay. Most of us are, are walking around with this on. Like, this is life. This, this vest, it's a weighted vest. It's representing life. Like, okay, as you go about your life and that thing happens, this vest gets a little heavier. That ER visit at the birthday party, okay? <laughs> Boom, that, that happened to us, right? Us, the dentists. Like, it causes life to get a little heavier. That relationship doesn't go the way you planned, and it, it, all of a sudden, your vest gets a little heavier. And all of a sudden, this isn't that bad. Like, you could stand here for a while, and like, you're fine, right? But if you had to live like this, 
for years. Your back starts to hurt. You start to get a little irritable. You start to like, man, I can't wait to just sit down. You know what I'm saying? And we're all carrying this. Now, how does this feel on you right now? Like describe how it feels. Is it hard? Is it soft? Is it heavy? Like what would you say? It's hard and it's heavy. I mean, it's both. And would you say that this is a very breathable material right here? Like you, you, you would be nice and cool, right? If you were to get out and people, by the way, people, psychopaths work out in these things. Can you imagine? I mean, my, my goodness, choice. right? I mean, like yes, they were like, they yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Um, and to you, God bless you. Okay. That's all I'm going to say. Right. But the sad thing is this, is that if we're being honest, most of us, if not everybody in this room, we're wearing one of these right now. No wonder you're tired. No wonder, like, you've been living this hurried lifestyle. You got, the, you, you got the wrong vest on. But what Jesus is saying is he's saying, hey, I know you got the way that you like to shoulder the weight in your life. Like, you like to carry the burdens that just comes with being a human. But Jesus is saying, hey, I have a new way. Actually, I have a new vest for you to put on. So I want you to take this off, and I want you to put this one on, okay? I don't know how this goes. Here you go. Don't mess it up. i got to return it later, okay? <laughs> it's upside down. Okay. Um, so hey, now we have a new vest on. Now, now look at this vest. Do you fish a lot? I do. Okay. Do you have a fishing vest? Not like this. Okay. Huh? You might go home with that one. All right, here we go. So now look at this vest. This is a completely, he's still carrying something. But now instead of carrying something that's hurting his back and that's making him want to say bad words at the gym, like with us, right? Like he's now got the, the vest that he needs. This vest is now, it's got, it's breathable, right? It's light. It, it, it's, it's made of a material. If it gets wet, it's okay. It's just going to wick off of that thing, right? And look at all the pockets, guys. Look at all the pockets. And in those pockets, Jesus has given you everything that you need. Right. Like everything can be found in the yoke that Jesus wants to give you. And not just the, the burden that he wants to give you, because that's not the good word. The way of life that Jesus wants to give you is better found in a fishing vest than it is a weighted vest. And I think for some of us tonight, it's time to take off the weighted vest. It's time to like get rid of that burden and put on the thing that God wants you to put on. And it's going to look a lot like this. Now, you might not like the way this looks, but I can tell you right now, I could live 50 years with this thing on way easier than I can live 50 years with that thing on. Thank you very much. You can go have a seat, my friend. Y'all give him a hand. So tonight, I think Jesus is asking you, why are you carrying this load when I've given you everything you need to carry a different load. Like you're working so hard and he's such a loving father that he's, he's wanting you to take that off. And he's wanting you to put on this new way of living life. And I'm gonna tell you, Stephanie's about to give you some stuff. This does not work if you just come to church and hear the message about it. Jesus wants you to actually live this way. And I'm telling you, it's hard. We tried this yesterday, this weekend. On Friday, we put our phones away. Saturday, we were on our phones a little bit, but our kids weren't on screens. We weren't on screens. And it was miserable the first day. I'm going to be honest. Like it, but about halfway through the day, I'm like, I feel relaxed. I don't mm-hmm. care who's trying to get in touch with me. I have nothing to do. I'm here with my family. We watched an awesome movie. It was great. But Jesus is offering this life. We just have to take it. There's a guy named Frederick Dale Berner, Bruner. And he said this, he said, Jesus realized that the most restful gift he can give the tired is a new way of life. Notice he, I'm gonna finish this quote in a second. He didn't say the best gift he can give them is to take off their burden. No, no, no. 
He said, no, no, no. It's a new way to actually live your life. It's a fresh way to bear responsibilities. Realism sees that life is a succession of burdens. We cannot get away from them, all right? You're gonna carry something. Thus, instead of offering an escape, Jesus offers new equipment to carry those burdens. Okay, so what does that mean for us? It means that if Jesus is gonna be our rabbi and we're gonna take on his yoke in both senses of the words, it means that we get to be his apprentices. Uh, the Hebrew word talmidim, I've got to look up exactly how to say that. I did not go to seminary or college, so we're on our own here. It's right, usually here translated as disciples, but it can also be translated as apprentice. And so we're going to use the word apprentice for right now because it, I want you to see that picture. Think of an apprenticeship like in our world. You, you apprentice under somebody because you want to learn what they do and how to do it. So be it a carpenter or an electrician or whatever, you apprentice under somebody so that you can learn how to do what they do. And that's what Jesus is inviting us to do. He's saying, hey, look at how I live my life and then do it. Um, so we're going to be diving into the specifics of that over the next few weeks. And it's very good. Like I could not stop going, oh my gosh, I love this. Oh my gosh, this is so great. Um, so we're, we're going to do that over the next couple of weeks, but I wanted to give you guys three keys of being an apprentice that you can put into practice this week. You don't have to wait for the next two weeks. Um, so number one is be with Jesus. And I don't mean just like say a prayer and ask him for stuff, but like spend some time with him, open up your Bible, um, a physical one, get out your physical Bible so that you're not distracted by your phone and read something. Read it for yourself. Ask God to to show you something new and how to apply it to your life. It can be, you can do that in five minutes, like every day. Every day, spend five minutes, read, pray, and apply something out of the scripture. Uh, Number two is become like Jesus, which is going to happen naturally if you're spending time with him because the people that you spend time with rub off on you and you become more like them. Clinton likes to say that being married to him has made me funnier. I would like to say I'm always funny, but he says that it's because I'm it married is. to him. It is. You're welcome. Uh-huh. Yep. Right, yep. Yeah. So, uh, See how funny that was? Hilarious. <laughs> um, that's number two. Number three, do what Jesus would do if he were you. And so some of that, you know, you kind of have to read between the lines because Jesus wasn't retired. He wasn't a stay-at-home mom. He wasn't a college student. He wasn't a business owner. He wasn't all of these things. But there are principles from his life that you can you can take and you can apply to your own life. So that's our challenge. Every single day this week, spend time with Jesus, be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus would do if he were you. Now, we're going to get into specifics of that, but I just want to let you know, we're not just going to tell you what Jesus taught. We're going to teach you how Jesus actually lived his life, because we have to do what he would do if he were us, if we want to stop this. Now, I want everyone to look at me, okay? Especially you guys. Y'all about to jump into a whole new season, brother, and uh, I'm excited for you. Don't be so hurried that you miss it. Yep. Launch day, enjoy launch day. I mean, how many church planners have enjoyed their launch day? Probably hardly any. You know what I'm saying? But don't be so hurried. Families, don't be so hurried and busy with your work that you miss it this Thanksgiving and during Christmas. Be present in the moment. Can we agree that we're going to work hard to do this? Listen, this is something all of you have told us. I'm just so busy. I'm just, listen, then let's do this thing together. What would our church look like if this was a church where people could come and actually find rest for their souls? That's how we are going to be an oasis in a, in a, in a place that is going crazy, hurrying from one thing to, a, to the other. What if we lived like Jesus lived? 
I mean, can you imagine the rest that people would find in their souls? It would be, it, it would be better than any drug or any fix that they could find. I believe that. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Officially the longest church service we've ever had. Congratulations, y'all made it. But if you could just be on, we're not going to sing that song, by the way. Uh, we're going too long. Um, but if you just could be honest in this moment and say, Clint, Pastor Clint, Pastor Stephanie, I struggle with this. If you just raise your hand. I just want to pray for you. Come on, be honest. Ain't no shame. All right, put your hand down. Spoiler alert, almost everybody raised their hand. <laughs> I want to pray for you. And I want you to pray for us. This is something we struggle with too. But I think together we can figure this thing out and we can be a lot better. God, I pray right now, just open up your hands as you're sitting in your seat. Just open up your hands like you're receiving something. God, I pray right now that our people would begin to receive your peace. I pray right now that your people would begin to receive the fruit of the Spirit. I pray that they would begin to uh, experience a rest and a peace in their souls, God, that they've never had. I pray against the spirit of hurriedness, God. What a crafty tool the devil has used to get us. And in the name of Jesus, we reject that and we take on your yoke, your way of living life. And so, God, I pray for rest right now. I pray that you would help us make the bold decision to put the phone away, to just sit and be with you. I pray that this week, man, we can spend time with you, we can become like you, and that we can do what you would do if you were us. Give us the courage and boldness to do that, God. We love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. Come on, give God a hand in this place. Watson family, thank you so much for joining us.